Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday, October 12, 2021. As always, you can find more of my episodes and content on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, and many other platforms. So definitely check it out. Miss anything from the NFL, the NBA? Got it all covered. Um, so definitely uh, give it a give it a listen for sure. Been focusing a lot on the NBA, the NFL as of lately. So we'll try to get into some other things as well that have been happening around the sporting world. Um, so let's get started uh, with talking about. John Gruden and Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden has uh, resigned as Las Vegas Raiders head coach after a series of emails um, that um, 11 years ago kind of surfaced. And there's an investigation into a lot of things the NFL the past few, you know, decade or so. And John Gruden was found to have wrote several uh, emails that were offensive um, using language that was offensive, sensitive, sensitive, and you know not what the NFL um, and the Raiders standard was, and a lot of teams were. So you know Gruden is out as um, Raiders head coach. You know they. Obviously, coming off a um, you know their second straight loss of the season, you know three and two start, and there obviously were a lot of hopes for Las Vegas Raiders um, when they decided to sign John Gruden, but after all the comments and the things that came out about how he you know made comments about Roger Goodell, about Demoris Smith, um, about you know, call you know about the, you know the first actively gay play in the NFL. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a pattern of uh, things that kind of came up in these emails from 10 years ago. People will be wondering why, why now? Like, why did this have? Well, you know, after all this time, you know, why did the NFL and the Las Vegas have to do this? Why would John Gruden have to do this? It's just the fact. Of the matter is, you look at what the NFL has been able to do. Um, over the years, they've tried to take on a bigger stance and a bigger role in terms of being able to create a work environment, create a culture in which you know everyone is treated equal. A lot of things, um, you know, that, that have to be kind of upheld and said in the right way. And you know, you look at John Gruden; he did apologize to the team and everybody about these comments that came up, but. You know, look at someone like Keyshawn Johnson, you know, who spoke really um, about his experiences with the Raiders and how John Gruden was kind of treated. It just speaks to, you know, obviously, like, there's a certain perception and, you know, picture kind of painted about John Gruden. And, yeah, it was 10 years ago, and probably Gruden has obviously learned a lot and, you know, has grown since then. But the fact is that for a locker room, for a league that has seen... A lot of players you know, go through you know tough situations and um, you know be kind of perceived a certain way. 
you know, this just speaks to, you know, how can you lead a team after all those things come out, you know. There was a lot, obviously, a lot of attention on the Raiders this past week and heading into Friday, um, this past Friday. And it is, it is a tough deal, you know. So the NFL has taken on more of a, um, you know, big approach when it comes to these things and they investigated a lot of things and, you know, this is never acceptable to have all those emails and and kind of use that kind of language. This is not acceptable in any sport league. And so I think John Gruden has seen that and how much people were really coming after the way that he kind of was perceiving things. You know, it became too much. And, you know, obviously you look at uh, the Raider players. I mean, they came out and, you know, they all kind of said... Um, you know, kind of mixed messages. Obviously, you know, Josh Jacobs and Derek Carr were very supportive. Uh, and just in terms of like what the, what they've seen from John Gruden, um, but if anybody looked at those emails and those comments, obviously there, there was a seven-year period where these things kind of went on. And this was at the time when he was, I think, an ESPN employee. Or um, so there's just a lot of things that kind of continue to happen. Um, that kept on building and building upon the other. And there's obviously more that is being reported and said, but the whole vibe was that you know, during those times that John Gruden kind of felt that he could, you know, in a position of power, in a position of what he did, he sent emails to, you know, Washington President, uh, at that time, Bruce Allen. And you look at how things have kind of gone since. The Raiders have done uh, a really a tremendous job over the years in terms of promoting diversity they've promoted coaches they've been able to you know put initiatives out there so Raiders were doing a lot of things uh, in the past um, decade to really advance as an organization right promoting coaches naming um, giving females opportunities to be in, in, in the in the front office and on, on the sideline before, before anybody else did and so you look at that and you know, you look at the comments that he made that time. I mean, you know, if it was something that maybe didn't span a whole lot of years, maybe it would have been taken a little bit differently. But in terms of the perception, the kind of light that it put on the organization, you know, I think Gruden just seeing that, you know, decided to step away. And it was the right thing to do because, you know, obviously the Raiders as a team, you know, they weren't as focused um, and prepared for all these things that kind of came out on that, you know, heading into the weekend, and a lot of things kind of played out as they kind of fell, you know, came out flat on Sunday. Um, but speaking of John Gruden, I mean, look, he is obviously someone who has a football mind, as a football coach, has obviously has done some good things in his career. It's just that obviously he came back to the Raiders, signed that big contract, and. You know, obviously they had to make the postseason, but you just look at the way that this team kind of has been, you know, having a leader, having somebody who, um, you know, they want to play for and believe in. After all these comments came out, I'm sure a lot of veteran players on that team were thinking, you know, where they, you know, how can they be with this guy who said those things at that time? And maybe, yeah, like I said, uh, everybody deserves a chance to grow and do those kind of things. Uh, but in the NFL, it just comes down to, you know, if it, it, one thing leads to another. And, you know, there were a lot of remarks made by John Gruden. And the NFL, 
and Las Vegas Raiders organization just had to really find a way to kind of get this behind them. Um, so it is a little bit surprising. Obviously, it's happened during the Monday Night Football game between the uh, Raiders, sorry, not Raiders, the Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts. So you know, it's a starting development. Obviously, um, you know. There's lots of there's a lot of expectation for the Raiders and now they are gonna be riding it out with an interim head coach. Most likely Gus Bradley for now. Um but man, it just felt like you know, we Gruz was already on the hot seat coming to this season and just seeing that, you know, after all the offensive emails and things that kinda of came out and were reported, um, by Ian Rappaport and others, I mean, you could just kinda of see that it was just about a matter of time in which the Raiders had to make a decision, you know, and Gruden kind of made it himself early on, you know, so it's just something that, because it spanned a, uh, a seven-year kind of period where he sent a lot of emails, and yeah, those emails became public, and that's the thing, it became public, and obviously a lot of Raider uh, players and team members and office members obviously had to answer these questions and Gruden came out and said what he had to say but for anybody who looks at Keyshawn Johnson and his comments that he made on KJM I mean it really speaks to like I said there was a lot of things going on uh, a lot of players were treated in a certain way and you know when you have a lot of power or whatever you know if you kind of feel like you can send, send those emails and write, write those thoughts um, you know kind of speaks to you know can you still lead that team you know and the Raiders obviously definitely because they made a lot of strides the organization they were the very first one of the very first to really start promoting a lot of programs and getting initiatives made and you know now they kind of have to kind of get clear of this and try to stay focused on winning football games but also making sure that they have you know a really good leader going forward for this team uh, to succeed. So in this next segment, I now want to talk about the Monday Night Football game that took place yesterday to conclude Week 5, and that was between the Baltimore Ravens and Indianapolis Colts. And the Baltimore Ravens rally uh, behind Lamar Jackson's epic performance uh, to win 31 to 25 in overtime. You know, from the start of this game, the Colts were in control. You saw Carson Wentz um, play fairly well. Um, Jonathan Taylor had a huge touchdown run in this game. And there was a follow by Carson Wentz in the you know, in the red zone area uh, as Ravens rookie on Onway made a great play on the football and on the sack of Carson Wentz. Um, but the Colts were in control of this game. You know, really they kind of paced it to their style. I mean, the Ravens' offense was really slow early on in this game. They could not. They went three and out a bunch of times. Uh, they just could not find any offensive rhythm in this game early on. And you look at the Colts. Um, you know, they had a 22-3 lead in this game. And the Ravens finally woke up in the second half. Um, 
you know, they did have a fumble. You know, like you know, Jackson had a fumble, obviously, in, in the second half. But he threw. I mean, he finished up with four touchdown passes in this game. Uh, just really lighting it up. Finding Mark Andrew for a couple of scores. Marquise Brown. And the Colts just did not finish this game. They did not finish this game as well. They should have. You know, there was a, obviously a blocked field goal. Uh, Calais Campbell came up with a huge play. And the Colts also missed a field goal at the end, end of regulation to win this one. But Lamar Jackson accounted for a majority of the Ravens' offense, obviously. They did not get to the 100-yard rushing mark, uh, which their streak is over now. Um, a 48-47 game straight with, with 100 yards rushing. The Colts did a great job in the first half. Second half, totally different story because they could not stop Lamar Jackson. When he got it going, he found Mark Andrews. He, fo- he found big plays down the field. Uh, he did everything that you wanted to see him do in terms of from, from, from a pocket and a passing point of view. He made the plays. Uh, they converted on two-point conversions very well. And like I said, Mark Andrews finished with a big game in the second half. The Ravens came out with more energy in the second half. They obviously believed that they could come back and win. And this is what I wanted to see from uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And this is what you want to see from any young quarterback. um, Being able to come back from a deficit and still compete and fight. And that's what you're kind of seeing, you know, not only the Ravens, but other teams as well, you know. Obviously, you look at the Colts, they played a really good game. I mean, Carson Wentz looked really good, I think, for the first time this season. Obviously, still getting used to everything. But the Colts, I mean, in terms of their you know opportunities to win this game, I mean, they had their chances. They could have been able to get out of Baltimore with a win. And, you know, they've gone off to a, uh, a good start in some of these games. And then other times, then they just really come out flat. And so in this one, they had... A good game going and then there's just the defense just wasn't able to uh, get the stuff they needed to stop you know once the Ravens kind of found some success with some formations and looks they really took that and kept on finding ways to pick up first downs move the chains and like I said the Colts were in a prime opportunity to win the game at the end of regulation they just did not make it and you know you look at um, you know, Michael Pittman, he played very well. You know, he had a touchdown this game. But the Colts did have their fair share of, you know, missed opportunities. You know, a couple of plays could have been made by Carson Wentz in this offense. Um, but, like I said, the whole kicking situation, the, you know, that was really tough for the Colts. And so, like I said, Lamar found Marquise Brown in overtime for a touchdown. Um, the Ravens now sit atop the AFC North. The four and one record, and I said Jackson made quite a bit of records yesterday. Obviously, with his completion percentage, and you know, you see him have more than 30 plus passing attempts in the game. This is a good sign uh, for the Ravens and his progress. Obviously, we know that they can run the football, and they've had their injuries um, quite a bit uh, at the running back position. But you kind of saw guys start to really emerge as an offense, you know, and. They just have to keep this momentum going as an offense. Um, you know, they may not ask Jackson to always do this. Obviously, throw a lot of passes in a game, but you can kind of see that the Ravens with their offense and how it's kind of been built around Lamar Jackson. I mean, you have 
obviously quite a bit of speed there. Now, yeah, Watkins did, you know, couldn't finish the game, and Rashad Bateman is still kind of finding his way into the lineup. But you're just seeing the Ravens um, open up a little bit more uh, for Lamar Jackson, and you know, right now he's playing at a high level. And the Ravens definitely just need to keep on keep it going. As a defense, you know, the big play is still obviously a concern. Obviously, they allow a couple of big plays on the field. But, you know, when it mattered the most, the Ravens made the plays. And so, you know, right now the Ravens sit at a pretty good spot um, in the AFC. And, you know, if they can just continue to play this way, if Lamar Jackson can continue to have more success in the passing game, then they are going to definitely... Uh, finish as a top seed this year, so let's see how it all plays out. But it definitely was a really entertaining game yesterday, and what a comeback for the Ravens uh, because they had never really won a game. I think trailing by like 19 points um, in some time. I think that was the first time in a while uh, that the Ravens came back with that big of a deficit to win win the game. So that was impressive in and of itself. So in this next segment, I want to talk about uh, the Utah Jazz and preview their uh, upcoming NBA season. The Utah Jazz um, had the best record in the NBA last year, I believe, at 52 and 20. Uh, they got off to a hot start, playing really well on both ends of the court. Obviously, with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and the crew. I mean, they were, you know, doing a great job. You know, head coach Dan Snyder was. Really doing well with the roster, and the Utah Jazz seemed like they were going to make a long run to the postseason. Um, but they, you know, came up short to the Clippers in the conf- uh, in the you know Western Conference semifinals. And so, you know, the Jazz have had quite a bit of exits in the f- uh, second round or the first round last few years. They've been really close uh, to getting to that. Um, you know that Western Conference Finals, you know, appearance, but they've always kind of been either you know, they have a lead in the series or they blow it, and that's kind of what happened with the Clippers. You know, they had a 2-0 lead on the LA Clippers, and then things kind of went south. You know, just of shooting and performance-wise, they weren't able to keep it going. So we look at this season and how things may shape up for the Utah Jazz. I mean, one, they were really good at home last season so I think that still would be a big factor uh, this year as you know they've been really good at home and um, the whole thing now is can Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert up their level of play um, to another level. We saw Mitchell do tremendous things last season although down the stretch you kind of saw that he was kind of fatigued, kind of got worn out a little bit, didn't really shoot that well in some spots that needed to shoot really well. You know, he was carrying a lot offensively, but, you know, obviously with Mike Conley not being there until the later portion of the postseason, and Mitchell was definitely handling the ball a lot. He was getting trapped in the half court. Um, he just he still put up some big numbers, but it just wasn't enough. It wasn't efficient enough for this Utah Jazz team to get past the Clippers. You know, they had Rudy Gobert kind of, you know, Rudy Gobert had a little tough time, obviously, guarding uh, outside on the perimeter. So... 
the whole season for the Jazz this year it usually comes down to their adjustments and being able to use that playoff experience from last year and hopefully fix the small things that hurt them in the end and kind of rectify that going to this season. So you look at it, I mean, their chemistry is intact, you know. Uh, Three-point shooting was, you know, huge last season for them. They're going to have to do that probably a lot more this year as well. Um, keeping that defense elite and really good in the paint is going to be crucial. I think Rudy Gobert obviously can do that. And you just want to see him do a little more on the scoring end as well. You think that will do wonders for this Utah Jazz team overall. You know, they do have Conley coming back. Obviously, Clarkson, Rudy Gay, and, and Hassan Whiteside joined the mix. So, they have a little bit more in the front end. Obviously, some guys who can score off the bench. And they're going to need more from Mike Conley and this second unit um, this season. I think that we've seen what Jordan Clarkson can do, what Ingles can do. You just want to see them continue to kind of pace themselves. And they have to find a way to finish games stronger. Because that was a big thing that they did not do in this postseason last year. You know, they had a lead in Game 5 against the Clippers. And they kind of blew that lead. And so they have to be able to finish certain plays. Get it done when it matters. And be consistent with it overall. I think they will... Uh, you know, compete with the Lakers probably and the Suns in terms of the standings in the Western Conference. I think that for them, they just have to get even more out of Donovan Mitchell and in terms of they have to utilize him and keep him fresh for the end of these games. And I think they're still a couple of players away, maybe from being a serious contender for the NBA championship. Um, I was like to say, Mitchell and Gobert do a lot of things great for this team, but you're going to need a third person to really emerge. And, you know, Conley can be that, Clarkson can be that, but they're going to need those players to show up in crunch time. And so, you know, defensively, they're going to be good this season. I think they will be, like I said, at the top of the Western Conference along the Lakers, the Nuggets, in, in the mix, and the Suns. Um, but they really have to do a good job of, of finishing off games and being able to stay with it. In terms of shot making, they got to mix it up a little bit this season. I think they relied too much on three point last season. This year, they got to mix it up, try to get things going in a different direction. Because uh, if they do that, they may be able to have more sustained offense. And I think that Mitchell, the way that he plays and how he can attack the defense, their perimeter shooting is going to need to be on on top. So I think that. Um, being able to get it going, keeping him right there at the end of the games where he can take over and get you know get it done. Um, and that's the key. And Mitchell is really good at what he's in. Ever since he's entered the league, he, you know, Murray, Tatum, I mean, they're really just shooting so well and playing at an all-time level. But you want to see the defense come into play. You want to see a little more of a, uh, you know, different approach where you kind of, you know, be a little more, you know, sort of assisting players, getting guys looks, feeding guys early the ball. I think Mitchell's gonna have to do that a lot more this year, and his shot selection will have to be much improved because the Clippers definitely made him pay for a lot of those mistakes in the postseason last year. So if he can just rectify those ones, then he can probably um, get back to being better. For me, I think the Utah Jazz are gonna make it back to the conference semifinals and the question is which matchup will they draw because with their roster they stack up really well against anyone and so I like their chances to be um, a, a, you know, a possible Western Conference you know, appearance 
Um, I think although the Phoenix and the Lakers are a little bit better on the roster-wise, so it'll just come down to matchups and how well can Mitchell and Gobert really play at those opportune times. So it should be a fun season. I think they'll be right there at the top. I don't think they'll have the best record in the NBA this season, but they'll be close to it, and they will definitely have a you know their two seed or three seed in the Western Conference this season. So now I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and their outlook for the upcoming 2021-2022 NBA season. The Nets have been through quite a uh, offseason. Uh, I would say, obviously, you know, there was a lot of chatter about the injuries that kind of piled up towards the end. The lack of, lack of playing time for the big three in Durant, Irving, and Harden. And the Nets, you know, they lost in seven. Uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks in the semifinals last year. Obviously, KD played a lot of minutes, was out there giving it his all. And, you know, James Harden wasn't totally 100%, but you still saw him out there. Uh, and the Nets just came up just short in that game seven against Milwaukee and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, Watch that pronunciation. Uh, so you look at the Nets and what's going to be uh, their fate this season. The Nets are one of the favorites, along with the Lakers and others, to win the NBA championship. Mostly the Nets are the favorites, if you look at it, just because of what they've been able to do offensively, um, what they can bring to the table. Obviously, Kevin Durant is uh, so great what he does on a nightly basis that you know he is going to be locked in this season, looking to make the most of his time. And obviously, the Nets' aspirations to be an NBA champion. Um, you know, to get the NBA championship. Now, you look at the Nets, when they're fully healthy, they're going to be hard to beat. Um, that's no doubt. Obviously, they have re-signed some players, you know, bringing, they, you know, they did sign uh, Patty Mills, you know, Aldrich is back, Griffin is back. So, they do have, obviously, the depth behind their big three to get it going. Job Harris expected to be much better, hopefully. So, the Nets do have a decent bench, um, obviously, they need to get more out of that bench, I think, this season because you're going to see a lot of teams really try to, um, you know, mix and match certain matchups. And so you look at the Nets and what they're kind of going through this season. I mean, let's just get this out right, right out of the way. So Kyrie Irving isn't going to be able to play any home games or road games until he's fully vaccinated. And that puts the Nets in a very interesting situation. You know, they came out and made a statement, you know, the owner... GM saying that you know Kyrie can't practice or play with the team unless until his situation has been you know figured out and Kyrie Irving obviously is a great player when he's out there he puts on a show every single time he plays but there's been a lot of drama with Kyrie Irving just in terms of what he's kind of bringing to the Nets you know you have Kevin Durant answering questions you have James Harden talking about free agency not that he's going to probably leave he won't leave the Nets but you kind of have other net players other team members having to answer questions about Kyrie Irving and so the Nets you know finally made a made a stand and you know for Kyrie Irving you know obviously he has his own beliefs his own opinion his own right it's not a mandate in the NBA to get a vaccine to play but it is becoming that way certainly in most places and you look at Kyrie Irving I mean 
you know, he's had quite a role um, of a career since he's, you know, left the Cavaliers, right? He was with LeBron James. Uh, let's let's go back, go back to the beginning, right? He was with the with the Cavaliers. They drafted him. LeBron came back after a number of years after winning some titles. Came back to Cleveland. They won a championship together. Now the, the dynamic between LeBron and Kyrie towards the end wasn't great, which is why Kyrie Irving left. Uh, went to Boston, and we saw in Boston he did well to a certain extent, but once again it came down to him and the chemistry with, between Brown and Smart not being the best. And so then he ends up on the Brooklyn Nets now. And, you know, he wanted to play with Kevin Durant. He was on board probably with the James Harden decision. And so now you have Kyrie Irving, who obviously has in the media has said a lot of things about privacy and all those things. And you respect that. But now it looks like, you know, for him to even get on the court this season, he's going to have to either get the vaccine or wait for something else to come up. And... Look, the Nets are going to be uh, really good even with without Kyrie Irving, you know. But in order to win that championship, in order to get through Milwaukee, they're going to need Kyrie Irving. It's just my opinion. Um, and obviously Miami Heat have improved as well. So the Nets need to get something out of Kyrie Irving. Now, whether or not he, you know, goes ahead and does that, it will be remains to be seen. But, you know, he came to the Brooklyn Nets for a reason, right? Kevin Durant also came. To win a championship in New York, right? Believe it or not, that's what they want to do. And so, if they want to do that, uh, they got to put the best people out there. I don't agree with the takes that have been thrown out there about trading Kyrie Irving or releasing him or doing that. He's still a talented player. It's just that, obviously, there's a lot of things that he's trying to figure out and do. And you love his what he's doing in terms of a community standpoint. Obviously, giving back to the community and talking about certain things. At some point, you've got to be able to do what's best for the team. And I think that at some point, Kyrie Irving is going to have to decide whether he wants to play games or does he want to play basketball or does he really want to focus on other things outside of basketball. Now, it's you know he, he can balance that out however he chooses to balance it out. But you know him being on the court with KD and, and James Harden is, is crucial because we saw that the lack of playing time they had last year really did affect them one way or another in the postseason the lack of not playing together did hurt this team and so if they want to build chemistry and get it going they got to be able to be on the court together and so hopefully Kyrie Irving does do that because Steve Nash is definitely someone who in his second year is going to be trying to find a balance of keeping these guys fresh and ready and not you know you know kind of low imagine them throughout the season so they can get to the postseason in one shot the full roster so if they do have Kyrie Irving they definitely have a great shot to win the NBA championship even without him I would say they still have a good chance but it's going to be more on Kevin Durant and James Harden doing most of the heavy heavy lifting and working this in this one so I think that for Steve Nash although like for him, he's going to really have to get more out of the second unit. He's going to have to do a good job of getting this defense improved because the Nets were 22nd ranked as a defense last year. Now, their offense can probably win every given night, but at some point, their defense has to be really good. And you saw in that postseason, there were some guys who just could not defend as well, play as well. And so, look at Joe Harris, look at Bruce Brown, look at Tyler Johnson. These are names that have to take on a bigger role for the Nets this year. If Kyrie Irving is not going to play 
from the get-go. You need guys like Bruce Brown, Tyler Johnson to shoot and play well. You need your, your second unit to be much better and to play well alongside James Harden and Kevin Durant. So the Nets should finish in the top three, I think, of the Eastern Conference. Number one seed, I can't see that right now, but they definitely should be in the mix for that. And like I said, the sooner that they have Kyrie on the court with Harden, with you know Durant, they can get some chemistry going and actually build something so they they don't, you know, because it feels like when it comes to the postseason time, you know, it's about chemistry, how, how we play together, you know. Yes, individually, those two, all three of them can score and win a game on their own. But in terms of what the Nets are trying to do, trying to build a, a team, a, a roster that can compete for the championship and make a longer run, they just need to be more experienced. Some other guys will get a chance to play early on, and hopefully those guys are ready to play and help the big three kind of, do their job, you know. Do what they have to do at the end of the day. Um, but man, it just feels like every off season or so, Kyrie Irving is in the news for something. Great player, very talented, very smart. You just hope that he just finds a way his way is back on the court to help the Nets or at least in the early part of the season, or if not sooner, because they're gonna need him uh, at, at full strength and the best of him to outduel any team in the Eastern Conference, especially on their on their way to a potential NBA Finals appearance.